0: Yes. Hello, I am Paul Church. This is Talent and Growth. You are you and you are here to join me for our conversation today with Anita Letting. Anita uh, is just fantastic. Um, I learned a lot from our conversation. We're talking salary transparency. We're talking financial well-being. We're talking the future of HR. Um, Just a really interesting conversation. And I think in particular, anything around that salary transparency piece is so important right now. And I think. The UK is starting to fall behind, um, certainly the US and the EU, and we need to really look to them to to see what we're going to do, because it is such a massive part of the conversation around fixing that gender pay gap. Um, And Anita gave us some really good insights into what's actually happening in the EU, um, which was fascinating. So um, yeah, lots in this conversation, Um, I really enjoyed it, Um, I hope you do as well. Um, Here we go. Hang on a minute, just before we go into today's episode I would wanted to talk to you really quickly about the Animo Group of which I am one of the co-founders. Now we are a flexible talent solution and we have had an incredible 14 months. We've saved our clients somewhere between 50 and 60% compared to traditional recruitment agency spend. We've delivered an average time to hire for 30 days. We've got flawless five-star reviews on Google business but even with all that I know you what you're thinking what you're thinking but you know it's a bit of an investment could be risky it might not work And I get it it's a funny time in the market but guess what we are willing to put our money where our mouth is if we don't deliver what we say we will in the first 30 days you've got a money-back guarantee which is gonna get rid of that risk so if you're not happy if we don't deliver what we say we will in that first 30 days then you just get rid of us, don't pay us, we'll disappear, we'll never darken your door again. What is there to lose by having a chat with me about that? It's a no-brainer. Drop me a line, paul at the com. Sorry about that, here's the episode, here it is, here it is. Anita, welcome to Talent and Growth, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, thank you Paul, how are you?
0: I'm really good, thank you, I'm really good. And it's, it's great to have you here, and for those who aren't maybe familiar Uh, with your profile. Would you mind just giving us a bit of background into who you are and what you do?
1: Of course. So I'm Anita Liting. I have been in the HR and payroll industry for the past 20, 25 years. Um, Worked almost 20 of that as um, strategy and alliance leader at NGA Human Resources. And then for the past three, four years, I've been an independent advisor and keynote speaker. And
0: I wrote a book. But what's the book called?
1: The book is called How to Select Your Next Payroll.
0: There you go. Absolutely fine. So we're going to be talking about payroll today. We're going to be talking about HR. We're going to be talking about financial health, which I think is a good place to start. And I think um, financial health um, and we, when we talk about it from the point of view of the employee well-being, uh, side of things it's perhaps some for me it's something that's perhaps a little bit understated and we talk about mental well-being of our workforce and our people quite often and that's great um, I think perhaps maybe we don't give enough uh, importance to financial well-being and actually if you ask people what a lot of people what they're stressed about the most nine times out of ten there'll be money will be up there in, in the kind of in the kind of questions particularly with the cost of living so um, why, why do you think that is why do you think financial well-being is perhaps not talked about enough
1: i think the pandemic made it more or normalized it really to talk about mental health and we started to delve into that and to look at the drivers or the causes i would say for um, problems that people were having and one of the problems that we identified was financial issues and that is completely understandable because if you are worried about paying your invoices, you are not bringing your best self to work. You have other things on your mind and you're constantly trying to figure out how to pay the next bill or how to avoid the debt collectors. And then last year after the war in Ukraine started, we were also faced with inflation. And because of the pandemic, there were also a lot of hiccups in the supply-demand chain. And put that all together, then you can see why suddenly the financial aspects of the employer-employee relationship became much more important in the first half of last year. And overall, what I noticed last year as I track a lot of investments in the HR tech startup space, is this whole shift from um, from VC's funding talent and mental health solutions to VC's funding HR pay- HR and payroll solutions and compensation and financial education uh, tools.
0: With you, absolutely that makes sense. And and, and how I mean, I suppose how, how does supporting the financial health of employees contribute to that overall mental well-being and job satisfaction? And what what can companies uh, do I suppose to prioritize this aspect of care? I
1: think so. I have been an employer, and before the pandemic, it was it was unheard of that you would talk about f- the financial situation with employees. Even though sometimes some employees have a lot of garnishments, right? And when one stops, another one pops up. So you know that they are not managing their financial situation very well, but you could not really bring it up because it was considered their private business. I think after the pandemic, we started to realize that first of all, mental health and financial health are sometimes very closely related and not in all cases, right? Mental health issues have very often are particular mental health issues, but in some cases they're related to financial health. And we also realized that not everyone gets a good financial education at home and when you do not get it at home you don't get it anywhere else because schools don't teach it and universities and high schools don't teach it to you either so the first company or the first environment where you are faced with this situation is your job and the pandemic has normalized the employer-employee relationship in the sense that we now find it more normal to talk about private issues or things that we, you know, before the pandemic thought were private issues are now everyday conversations at work. And one of those everyday conversations is slowly but surely also taking a financial turn. And that means that when people find it really hard to, to manage their money, That can be a conversation at work and employers are also making tools available because they now understand that sometimes that is an issue where people can be taught how to be more aware of their income versus their outflow, but also manage it in such a way that it is beneficial to them and they're not constantly living hand-to-mouth. And then, of course, a number of tools have come to market using new technologies that tie into your payroll solution or that tie into your bank account and that can give you a more accurate picture of your financial situation. So all these things coming together created the perfect opportunity for employers to start having these conversations with employees but also employees demanding these solutions and help with their finances from
0: employers yeah there's so this i mean it's 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 crazy when you think about it that we're not uh, taught in school i definitely wasn't taught in school about how to manage uh, how to manage my own cash flow what a what a mortgage is you know uh, pensions how they work all these things and so actually there's there's opportunities isn't there there's opportunity for businesses who couldn't be really proactive around this and say, "Hey, you know you may not have had this learning before, but we're going to help you." And of course, you know what? you know if, if 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 employees are asked what would fix their financial problems, I'm sure most of them say,'ll well, give me a pay rise, that'd be that' be the that'd be the the, the first thing that comes to mind, but that's not always possible. But if we teach people how to manage what's going out better, then maybe that's going to you know make them feel just as good, right?
1: Right. And the interesting thing, by the way, is that these money issues happen at all levels. So it is not so that employees with lower salaries suffer from these issues more often than employees with very high salaries. And the reason for that is simply because when people earn a certain amount of money, they start to adjust their spending patterns, and before you know it, even people that we would consider rich or handsomely rewarded have trouble managing their income. It's a really interesting situation, I think.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is, because you you live within your means. Well, you, the the idea is you live within your means, and of course, yeah, as the money goes up, your expectation of what life should look like, how big your house should be, what kind of car you're driving. But again, if and, and also things happen, don't they? Of course, it, you know, as your expectation goes up well, something happens, you get laid off and then you've got to manage that expectation coming down as well. So, um, so absolutely. So, so, okay, look, it, it, this is, um, it, it's so important. I think we're 100% on the same page there. So what ways can companies effectively educate and empower them, their employees to make these informed decisions about their financial health and long-term financial planning? So what can companies really do and how does that, how does that look?
1: I think a lot of it is make the right information available. So not only send people a payslip, but give them insight in compensation. What do I pay you? So a salary, of course, but obviously a lot of companies provide benefits. Those have a monetary value. What do I give you in pension support that also has a monetary value? And you will not get it until later, obviously, but you're building wealth in a certain way. And one of the things that always struck me is that for a long time, I worked for a company that was made of uh, of a lot of payroll administrators. So you assume that they have a lot of insights into their own financial situation. But there were cases where people switched companies and they thought that they would get a higher salary. And that was true. But overall, their compensation um, amount did not change or was lower than before, simply because of a change in benefits or you know, some other changes in the total rewards package. And so giving people access to an overview of their total rewards packages is really insightful because it shows what you as a company invest in them on top of their salary. Many people do not even realize what they receive every month or what a company pays for them, for instance, in social security or in taxes or all those third, Party uh, compensa- or third party payments, like maybe even courses, learning, so all these amounts add up. And when you look at your total compensation in a relationship to what you take home and in payroll, there is typically a huge difference. And when you know that, you can make much more informed decisions about your financial planning, but also about everything that you spend money on today.
0: There's not, we, we talked about this being an opportunity for companies and how it can support the mental well-being of their employees if they get this right. Will we go so far as to say there is a responsibility on the company side to, to, to do this and make sure people are really educated around how to, how to manage their cash flows, how to understand what's going on with their finances?
1: Yeah, I think there's a little bit of responsibility, not all of it, right? Because knowing your finances, managing your finances, first of all, that is my responsibility, that's my personal responsibility. But in some cases, like we we just discussed, when people don't learn that at home, when they don't learn about that in school or later on in life, and they're really struggling to manage their money. Why wouldn't you, as an employer, make sure that they get a better handle on it? Because you're faced with the consequences. And if you help these people get this under control, they feel much better about themselves. They learn something. And ultimately, you probably have a very loyal employee because you help them out. Now, I'm not saying that you should reach out and educate them as a given because every situation is different and you need to, as an employer or as a manager, you need to tread very carefully here so that it's not considered overreach. But if we would know that an employee struggles with some other situation at home or at work, we would have a conversation and say, Hey, let's grab a cup of coffee and discuss this. And I think it's time that we also normalize this conversation so that we can help people move on, um, but also live a better life, hopefully. I have to say, though, it starts, obviously, with paying a living wage, right? Um, You cannot make something out of nothing. And if you are not earning a living wage, then there's nothing any financial education, Can do. So it starts with a living wage, but if then on top of that you have difficulties, I think that there are more ways available to people now, both employers and employees, to help each other out, have that conversation, grab that cup of coffee, and provide some education.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, I think there is that, there is still. That taboo around talking about money, I think, and that probably plays into um, some of the some of the maybe the lack of pace around getting to salary transparency because it's not. Although I think we agree, it's probably something we need to get to. Some people aren't comfortable with that, but we'll, we'll come on to that in a minute. So, what I want to talk about with you next, actually, was um, actually around uh, we talked around the payroll the payroll space, and I know when we talked before, you had some interesting insights into how. I suppose the impact of fintechs continuing continuing to expand into this space and what key innovations and trends we could expect to see and how this could actually impact the way organisations manage their payroll and employee benefits.
1: I think when you look at fintechs, they had a really interesting way of coming at this because for a very long time, in HR and payroll, and I, I did that myself too, is you look at the pay slip at the end of the process, right? You create the pay slip, you make the payment, then you're done, and the next pay period starts. But in fact, that payment is the input for the employee, and so it's the start of the process for the employee. And fintechs understood that. And what they did very early on was trying to find ways to integrate with payroll so that they could predict what was coming. And based on those predictions, they do a lot of internal stuff, but they also help employees with all kinds of apps to automatically disperse money to different income um, or different expenses, like mortgages or a car payment or uh, an, an insurance premium, those types of things. So what they do is... They provide ease of mind to employees. And with these apps, ultimately employees have an amount in their bank accounts or the the amount that is left is spending money because the bank has already taken care of all of that. Now, obviously to make that happen, they need to provide, uh, or payroll engines need to provide access and not every payroll engine is able to provide that access simply because that wasn't the model before. Um, All the new engines that come to market are API based, and that means that a variety of applications can access the information that is available in a payroll. And in that way, fintechs have really revolutionized this market. And also the way that we look at payroll and the functionality that should sit in a payroll engine.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And so, so this could, um, this, the integration of fintech solutions with payroll systems could actually, that's a, that's a benefit really when we're talking about this overarching topic around improving employees financial health. So there's a lot of benefits to it.
1: Yeah, because look, some fintechs ha- hold employer accounts, And they also hold employee accounts, but what they don't do is run payroll. So I've already seen one or two fintechs that include payroll so that they now hold the whole financial process between employer and employees within their walls. That provides a lot of information because you already know when employers are paying people, you already know which amounts will come in to all of these bank accounts. And so as a FinTech, you can do a lot of predictions about how people are spending their money, what they are what they are spending it on, when they are spending it. And that is rich data that a whole lot of other institutions are very interested um, in. Um, you also see that FinTechs brought us the idea of, if I pay you something now, within the next minute, you have it, right? The peer-to-peer payments, for instance. So you also see that fintechs in that way disrupt the banking industry by speeding up the process and changing our expectations of when we get our money. And then there's a third um development i would say and that is more around the pay me now and that came more from the platform industry where when you work you get paid you don't have to wait until the end of the month or the end of the pay period before you actually get the money and earned wage access applications are changing the way that we handle our our income streams. And not everywhere in the same way, and not for everyone, but you do see that companies are rethinking this payroll process in the sense of, is it really right that we hold on for four weeks, that we hold on to that money for four weeks or a month, and people have to wait until they have worked for a month before they get their first payment. So those types of disruptive ideas are floating all around the payroll industry and also in the payment sector.
0: It's yes, really fascinating because when you put it like that, the, the, the concept of having to wait for your wages doesn't really fall in line with the, the world we live in now where we have instant gratification from, from everything um so why why should we have to wait on our payroll because why should we have to wait on our payroll when we can order something from amazon and it'll be there delivered in the same day or we can go on spotify and we can listen to any song ever ever created immediately <laughs> so it's uh, it's about i suppose it's about time when you put it like that it's about time this industry was disrupted right right yeah moving on um let's talk about pay transparency because this is a this is a big topic in the uk um there's a lot of information around it and and suggestions on it on linkedin um and i think for good reason for me it's something i advocate i think it's something that we need to be moving towards in the uk and i think it fixes a lot of problems um i think it's a big it's a i i don't underestimate how big a deal it can be for some companies because if your house is not in order with your with your uh, pay transparency it could take you maybe 12 to 24 months to get it in line. So I don't think it's a small job, but I think it's a, it's a necessary direction. Do you mind just giving us a bit of an update as to where uh, things are at in the EU? Because I think we couldn't, we're we looking probably to the UK, is probably looking to what's going on in the States, where they what they've done, and also to the EU. And I'm probably less familiar with the EU side, so I'd love to hear a bit about what's happening uh, around pay transparency.
1: Yeah, you're asking at the right moment, actually, because there is a new app, equal pay for equal jobs directive um, that was voted on uh, in March, and that has been adopted by the European Council, which means it now goes into effect after it's published, which probably will happen anytime in uh, in May. And that after that, countries have three years to codify this into their national laws, and then Uh, companies have one more year before they have to report, which essentially means that as of now, as of today, as a company, you have four years to get your ducks in a row. And as you just mentioned, it is costly if you do not provide equal pay for equal jobs at this point in time. So there's a couple of things that you need to do. The, The law is really focused on closing the gender gap. And the reason for that is that since 2006, there has been an equal pay law in the European Union, but no reporting requirements. Currently, the payroll gap within the union stands at about 14% on average. And we've only closed it with 3% in the last decade. So clearly voluntary, actions have not worked. And that is also why this new directive um, is now in place. Um, What it means is that you now have to, or going forward, you have to publish the salary scale in the job ad um, so that people know when they apply for a job, this is about what I'm going to Uh, What I'm going to make. You're also forbidden to ask employees or or candidates. I'm sorry, to ask candidates what they currently earn, and so that means that you cannot relate the job offer anymore to their current payment. And of course, that was a large reason for all these discrepancies in payments because people would ask a candidate how much do you make. They would add like 500 euros and that, and then they would sign them on and. Doing it that way means that you have a wide variety of salaries for the same job in the same uh, same company. The other thing is now, of course, um, you have to grade all your jobs and you have to make sure that internally people are paid equally because once you start publishing salary scales in uh, job ads, your internal people will see that too. if your reporting shows a gap, a gender pay cap of 5% or more, there is a mandatory external review so that you bring it down to, well, obviously to 0%. And that review also can be triggered by um, the unions or by the works councils. That does not have to be an employee um, per se. And then finally, when it comes out that you are really paying people unequally, there is compensation or fines attached to that, and also backwards compensation. So you have to make up the gap for the period that it lasted, which can be hugely costed. And it uh, includes all compensation, so not just salary, but also benefits, pensions, and because um, benefits and pension payments are usually a percentage of salary, you can understand that if the salary is increased, then that percentage is also a lot higher. So the overall bill um, is going to be massive. Um, I think that, you know, from a UK perspective, this also has ramifications because... European companies very often have people all over the world. And so if you suddenly can see what people are being paid in Europe and you work in the UK, why wouldn't you want that same amount? It would not be very okay if people, you know, from the Netherlands, it is a few hundred kilometers to the UK. So why would people here need a higher salary than, uh, people in the UK. Well, I know a lot of reasons and location plays into them, but you could see how this would also um, spread to other countries. And f- from a European perspective, if you're headquartered here, it's going to be very hard to explain to your employee population that, well, we do everything for you equally, except equal pay, because that's only in Europe because here it's the law. And if you don't work in Europe, well, tough, right? That does not make for a great employee experience. So that is why I think that very quickly, companies will start to understand that if they have to do this for the EU, they might as well do it for the for all of their
0: locations outside of the EU. 100%, I think, I'd just be so surprised if something like this didn't get formalized in the UK at some point with it happening in the States and um, kind of happening in in the EU. And of course, you're right. You know, there's going to be um, people who are working, you know, in the UK for European businesses. So, yeah. And and for you, when we talk about the gender pay gap, do you think this is probably the biggest step towards fixing that?
1: I think so because, well, now it's mandatory. I also think that it is broader than the gender pay gap, because once you start to evaluate the gender pay gap, I'm pretty sure that you are almost forced into evaluating the pay gap on other characteristics. Are you paying people with, from the same culture, from different cultural backgrounds, different amounts? Are you paying people from different age group, different amounts, as soon as these payments become more transparent and salary structures and job grades are being introduced, then you will quickly see that people or employees and also works councils and and unions will not only look at gender, they will take a look at all the characteristics that play a
0: role here. Um, And what are some, best practices for organizations who are looking to take this step in the right direction of course uh, to to pay transparency measures and and from and how so how do people go about it and make sure they're promoting that culture of openness and fairness around compensation what's the what's the blueprint
1: well first of all you have to obviously know if you have a pay gap and the only way to um, understand if you have that is to put um, jobs in certain grades and scale. So first of all, you have job grades. Um, so, you know, very, very easy. Is it is this a junior, a media or a senior position? And then you have all kinds of levels and, and steps. And then you need to look at what is the average pay in this group and who sits above that, who sits below that and why. And there could be good reasons, for instance, Um, someone has all the certifications and therefore brings home a little bit of higher salary and this person is still working on their certifications and once they have them all, then they will earn the same salary. But you could also discover that simply because someone was hired uh, in a period of labor shortage, they bring in a higher salary than someone who was hired, let's say, five years ago. And there you have a problem because ultimately they are delivering the same work, they hold the same position, but one of them takes home substantially less than the other. In those cases, you need to fix it. I think what is super important when you go on this uh in this route is to be very transparent to employees about what you are doing and how you are going to look at this and what kind of decisions you will make. And even more important is that employees understand in an early stage that no one will take home less. But it could be a case that for a year or so, your increases will be less than others while you bring them to the same level. Because in a way, you have been overpaid for a certain amount of time. And now we're going to make sure that others get paid the same amount. And then you move on. The problem with all of this is is that if you have a pay gap, it's costly and timely to catch up. So that is also why I so strongly recommend that you do not wait to understand if you have a pay gap, but that you quickly start to analyze what is going on in your company and make some decisions on how you are going to bridge the gap if you have one because lots of employee communications required lots of funding required some time required so it's a big it's a big job
0: so how, how can hr professionals leverage the latest advancements in hr technology to really streamline processes improve employee experience and deliver more strategic value to the organizations
1: well first off they need to leave excel behind And the reason why I'm saying that is that I have been working with a couple of companies and I really thought that everyone was already using HR solutions. That was not at all the case. I am still seeing companies that do a lot of HR in Excel spreadsheets and some even do all of HR in Excel spreadsheets. And when it works, it works and it's fantastic. But there are so many good solutions on the market these days that will do all these things for you. And also keep all your employee data safe, safer than in an Excel spreadsheet, obviously. Um, So yeah, first order of business is get an HR solution and make sure that you handle all employee information in that solution. The other thing is that these days, no matter the size of your company, there is an HR solution specifically for you, right? Whether you're a small business or medium or very large, companies have, or HR vendors, have really started to carve out these business entities where they're good at or industries where they're good at. So there's there's a solution for um, for everyone. And what you see now, of course, is that as soon as you are starting to work with these solutions, because they're all cloud, new functionality is being introduced on a quarterly base, on a six month base. So you're currently uh, or continuously um, using what's available and you can extend with new functionality. Sometimes you have to pay a, sm- a small fee to extend it, but at least you know that the latest is available to you and you can benefit uh, from it. So, so I think that is, um, that is good. From, a, um, from an analytics perspective, there's so much information coming out with dashboards and, and ways that you can quickly provide overviews of your employee base, but also about skills or about payments to, um, to the C suite. That really helps in decision making because, as we know, for many companies, the employees are now the largest, gonna say, cost um, or expense or however you want to call it, but salaries, um, are, you know, sometimes 60 or 70% of your balance sheet. That's a lot of money and you need to really understand how that works and where that is, or yeah, how that is spent. Um, so by providing good dashboards and continuous information, I think that HR leaders can really, um, level up and, um, Then, of course, we are um, seeing a lot of machine learning, robotics, automation, and even artificial intelligence um, enter HR. Um, Some of that is really good. Some of that is very uh, premature from uh, from my perspective, also immature. So I always say be... You know experiment and and learn what these new technologies can bring you but also be cautious because you're dealing with employee data that is sensitive um from a privacy perspective you also need to be very careful about it so yeah really understand what your vendor is doing before you make the decision to um to contract with them
0: and if we look at um that conversation piece which everyone's talking about is ai generative ai automation machine learning right now what what i think you're right i think i think we're in the early stages of a lot of things and a lot of it is immature what if you if you look forward based on what you've seen and where you think it could take us what role do you envision for ai automation in shaping the future of hr what what do you think that could look like
1: i think and i think it's very reasonable to assume that in future when we have questions our first entry point will be a chatbot. That is already happening. They're usually good in handling more generic questions, like "I need a form for something." Okay, here you here's the form, or maybe there's two forms. Please choose which one uh, which one you need, or you need a policy, and they will um, they will float that. The problem, however, with more extended questions is that in HR, it's usually very personal. It's not the same answer for me as it is for you, simply because our circumstances are different, our uh, slips are different, and you always need an answer that is 100% accurate. Because, you know, it's either good or it's false. There's nothing in between. And there, artificial intelligence is just not good enough yet as you have probably seen from all kinds of examples, um, it lies a lot. It does so very convincingly and that can be a problem in an HR situation, or not can be, that is a problem in an HR situation. I have no doubt that we will overcome that simply because a number of these these, chat GPTs and others, and these large language models are, cha- are are trained on such a large volume of information, and HR typically does not hold that much information. So, making sure that these answers will be correct, we can achieve that. It just takes time. And what I see today is that a lot of companies are jumping on this you know, we have some sort of GPT or we have some sort of large language model here, you can use it. And we've now published it in in our solution. And I look at it and I think, well, it has been on the market since November. How do you know it works? And isn't that a little early? And do you really want to expose your employees to that if you do not know what is exactly happening behind the scenes? So, yeah. Once again, experiment, but also be cautious.
0: And as we know, it's, 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 things are changing quickly and the landscape of all, all professions, particularly HR, are really changing. So what, what advice would you um, give for HR professionals around how they can stay informed about trends, developments in, in AI, in, in fintech, payrolls? What, what's, what's the sources for them that they should be following?
1: Yeah, there's, there's I think... A number of HR and payroll organizations do a really good job in keeping uh, people informed. But I always encourage people to look outside of the box and so find an IT publication or find some other publication that gives you a little bit of a different perspective so that you do not only think about the consequences for HR or being informed about the consequences for HR, um, but, but maybe, think it through from a finance perspective, right? The same thing that happened to me when I started to look at fintech as an adjacent area, I suddenly realized what the opportunity was and what could potentially happen. So, um, you know, maybe once in a while, go with your finance colleague to a finance conference and see what's what they are talking about there, because that might have implications for what you are doing, um, sorry, that might have implications for what you are doing in payroll.
0: Um, Perfect. Thanks, Anita. Well, look, we've, we've talked AI, we've talked uh, financial health, um, we've talked payroll, we've talked fintech. So we've covered so much, and I really appreciate hearing about it, all your, all your thoughts and insights. And I'm sure other people might want to pick your brain. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they, if they have any questions at all?
1: They can reach out and check my website, AnitaLitting.com. I'm also active on LinkedIn. So if you have a question, DM me or connect and uh, I'll get back to you. Thank you, Paul.
0: Thank you so much for being a part of Talent and Growth, Anita. I've really enjoyed it. Wow, what a great episode with Anita. Um, really fascinating. And I'm, look, I'm always going on about salary transparency. We need to be taking some big steps towards that in the UK. So love loved hearing around that and anything else that Anita helped us with. Now, um, one last thing before I let you go. If you've enjoyed today's episode, if you're enjoying Talent and Growth, be a great human being. Do me a favor, subscribe or follow our podcast series, whether you're on Apple, Spotify, I think we're on Amazon now, I think we're on Google. I'm sure we're all sorts of things. But whatever you're listening to us on, please do drop us a subscription, follow. It really helps us. Um, it really helps us get even, even more amazing guests. For your listening pleasure, you have a great day.